0: morning everyone give everybody a second or two to find their seats i recognize so many people and know so many people here but i also look around and i see some new faces so for those who uh, don't know me my name is bill heidel my wife and i lisa um, kind of grew up in this church we really feel like it's our home church and currently god has me serving in another church in the area But I always enjoy our homecoming of sorts when we come back here and I get a chance to share the word with you. So today we are going to continue in the series, What's in a Name? But first, I think we have to acknowledge, right, this momentous event that's going on today. Uh, I see a lot of purple and black around here, right? And I want to thank the NFL. They purposely moved the time of the game start back to three o'clock just to allow me to finish this sermon. So I thought that was great for them, right? Everybody should be out of here on time and they can watch the game if you're excited. Now, I think in um, all seriousness, we actually have something to share today as we look into God's word. It's much more exciting than any game. And you think about that for a second, let that sink in, right? It is very exciting for the game. It doesn't happen all the time. If you're a Ravens fan, Right. You've been watching this team do well the whole year and it's building up to it. But so often we take the things that are immutable, meaning unchanging in God's word, and we just take them for granted. Right. We don't get as excited about them because we don't feel the build up. We don't feel the tension all the time. I would challenge you that as you read through the Bible, try to get yourself in the mindset of the characters who are told in the midst of these inspired stories, right? And so I'm gonna try to do that today a little bit when we look at El Roy, literally today, as we move forward, El Roy only appears as a name of God in the Bible once, one time, one phrase. So what's all the hubbub about, right? Why do you hear El Roy, why do we study El Roy, the names of God. Jim talked about it when he first started this series, right? We learn about the names of God because they teach us about the character of God. One of the things that I've always shared with people that's helped me to understand sort of the mindset of the ancient Hebrews is that they were very close to like the American Indians in the way that they would name people. So they would watch And they would see a crazy man jumping around with a wolf and call him dances with wolves. Same way the Hebrews would be. So when they observe God, these names would come out of their observation of God. And we're going to see that in today's passage as well. But for that fact that it's only in the Bible one time specifically, the rest of the Bible, and I'm going to attempt to show you a lot of scripture Actually goes on to reinforce, elaborate, and drive home this Elroy. Right? Without using the exact Hebrew term, I believe you will see it over and over again. And that's what's so exciting. Right? The Bible is its own measure, its own canon. No two places in the Bible will ever disagree with themselves. If you look at something and it seems like it disagrees, keep searching for your understanding, because I guarantee you it's wrong. And you need to go back right until you can come to understand that part of the word so without further ado i'd ask you to bow your heads with me as i lead us in prayer and then we'll open in the message heavenly father uh, we come here before you today excited to learn and hear from your word father we trust and know that your holy spirit is here to intercede for us that your holy spirit would help and we ask quicken the word to us we ask for the understanding of what's going to be shared here today father i ask you for special blessing that you would help my words get out of the way of your words because father we want your scripture that is inerrant all sufficient to be what goes forth and father we have the assurance that as that word is proclaimed it never returns void father we thank you that you care for us we thank you that you see us and we ask today in the name of your son that you would help us bring us to that place that's closer to conforming to the image of christ father we ask these things in Jesus' name amen amen so turn with me if you will in your bibles there's bibles in the pews if you haven't brought it with you We're gonna be in Genesis 16, and I'm gonna go through verses one to 16. A little thing about Bill, maybe a little bit of a quirk, and I thank you for your patience, is that I always teach and preach from the ESV. I know a lot of people here love the NIV. And what I trust is you'll see as I teach and preach, it's the same meaning set in some different ways. (laughs) Okay, really good pieces. So follow with me here as we go, I'll read this. So verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Well, let me stop here. Some of you went, Sarai, Abram? You mean Sarah, Abraham? Yes, I do. Before they were Sarah and Abraham. Right? So this is before. says so she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. I'm going to stop here again. Please notice that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Right in the name of our series, Jim has already shared with you that is the Yehovah. Right, those letters that were an abbreviation that was later translated as Yahweh. Right? So anywhere you see those capital letters, Lord in all capital letters, that is the root derivative in Hebrew of Yahweh. So she says, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. What's happening here? Right, Most of us know this story. This is that story of unbelief where Abraham and Sarah were promised a child in their old age and sarah was barren so her belief one puts all of that fault on god and two thinks that she has to do something to make it happen right so we know there's the root right there of all these problems that we're going to read about okay but she goes on and it's a, and she tells abram go into my servant it may be that i shall obtain children by her And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived, and I apologize, I'll probably say Abraham a couple more times as I read this too, but Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. For us today, it's a bit strange, right? Polygamy, in their day, not really that strange right multiple wives were something that was there before the full teachings of christ was fully realized so we look there and it goes on and it says he went into hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress in other words she looked down on sarah now many places That you will hear this story, they focus on the fact that Hagar was cast out. Right? And one of the songs we sang today, they talked about that too Hagar cast out. I don't see it. What I'm seeing here right off the bat is rebellion. Right? What I'm seeing here right off the bat is contempt for the mistress. Now, some of us have to also think about this in their context again in our context slavery right is something that is horrible we see that but slavery has existed in many forms early on and the biblical slavery here that we're talking about is when someone else was taken into a house and provided for in order to do certain work all their life was there if you're going to compare something to it it would be like an au pair today or maybe a nanny that's brought into a house to take care of the children right the work of the home was delegated they welcomed the slaves into the home and then treated them as such bad part is they still treated them as property right but there was provision there as well so please don't think hey bill was reading the scriptures and endorsed slavery that's not what i'm doing right i just want you to understand the context here and so what we see is hagar abusing that provision elevating herself higher Right, than her mistress, in other words, committing the sin of pride, right here. Because now she conceived and her mistress couldn't. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong be done to me be on you. I give my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, once again, I love just how real the Bible is. Men, at this point, I'm gonna ask you to sit on your hands, resist this urge, don't even glance, right? But some people might have experienced this in their marriage, right? As soon as there's an issue, a problem that's come up, right? What happened? Sarah said to Abraham, behold now, go into my servant. So Sarah told Abram to go into his servant but what happens when it goes sideways, right? May the wrong done to me be on you. It's right away onto the husband. Now I feel the husband should be leading. So he's not absolved either just because she said it, right? So I'm not disagreeing with this, but that's also something to notice here. This is a mess, right? This is horrible. The relationships are, are all now schismed. It didn't work out the way they thought. Why? Because Sarah tried to play God. Right? She didn't just believe in the promise and wait for the promise to come in God's thing. She was going to force it and make it happen. And it's important for us to realize as we read through there that that's what's going on. Right? But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in power. Do to her as you please all right now women you get to sit on your hands don't look next door right don't go through there but basically what is abram the father right of the jewish nation what is he doing here stepping aside you deal with it looks a little bit like adam right when you read the adam and Eve story yeah eve's the one being deceived by satan and then you see she gave the apple to adam who was with her so the whole time in that garden when there's temptation adam's standing right there not doing anything right and that's an epidemic in our times today that men are not stepping into the godly leadership role when i say godly leadership that doesn't mean a domineering leadership where you do everything it doesn't mean that a man is never wrong right that means a man steps into to that role to lead and care for thing and he values his wife and treats her as the helpmate suitable that God created her for. Right? But we'll go on here. Right? Then Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So Sarai dealt harshly, notice harshly, not unjustly, right? But harshly. And then what happened? Did they throw her out? Was she cast out in the- no she fled from her, she ran away, right? Rather than do the hard thing, rather than stand up under the circumstances, rather than confess, you know what? I deserve it because I was condescending to you, right? I didn't appreciate my situation and through here. Oh no, what'd she do? Run away from it. But let's go on. In verse seven, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. So she was fleeing to Egypt. She was going to run and try to get back home, right? And here she is at a spring. She's got to cross the desert. And then what happened? Did she fall on her knees and confess and cry out to the Lord? And then the angel appeared to her? No, the angel appeared to her. So I want you to get this picture here a second. Right? Because this picture is a picture of an unrepentant sinner running into the desert rather than staying in the provision of home. Right? Going to take their shots in the wild and a loving God following and pursuing them. Now, many of you have stories in your testimony of how you came to be in relationship with Christ that has you making a decision for Christ, right? Maybe you were not happy with your life and the way things were going. You hit rock bottom. You knew there was nowhere else to turn and your eyes turned upward and looked towards the Lord and you called on him and he answered. Those are beautiful testimonies. But it's also beautiful testimonies how many other people weren't looking for God at all when he came to them. Right, God pursued them. He knew them, right? The psalmist says, I knit you together in the womb. And we're gonna cover that a little bit. He knew us before we were us and he pursues. And that's what we're seeing here with Hagar. The other thing I have to mention as we go through this is the angel of the Lord. Notice that Lord again, the angel of Yahweh. What's the word angel mean? It means messenger. When we hear angels, What do we think of? Sweet nothings, we see the little cherubs, right? The babies with some angel wings, or you might think of the fear, really fear-causing angels, Gabriel, and some of the others that fought against Satan. All of those are right, but in this context, it's a messenger coming. And some of you, I'm gonna blow your mind here, right? But I think this angel, when mentioned, is very special. And I'm gonna go into that in a second but it goes on and says and he said the angel Hagar servant of Sarai where have you come from and where are you going notice he knows Hagar knows her by name but what's he call her next servant of Sarai. what's she doing she's running away right now she doesn't want to be the servant of anybody and he calls her and kind of sets the record straight. Kind of tells her, look, you're the servant of Sarai. Right? talks to him. But he says, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Hats off to Hagar now. She's confronted with an angel, and she is honest, straight up. Right, she doesn't mince words. She doesn't tell a different story. Right, she doesn't say, I was cast out. She says, I'm fleeing from my mistress. Now, the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. There's a lesson for us right there. I could spend a whole nother sermon just on that, elaborating that. That's a hard one, right? Think of this in the context maybe that you might be more familiar with, with your employer. Ever condescend to your employer feel you know much better than your employer and things that are going on ever have contempt against your employer God wants us in certain circumstances and he tells us if you're in prayer with him and that when those circumstances are there that he wants you to go back and submit to authorities why because all authority is God ordained tells us in Scripture right he has a purpose there and in this case He's telling Hagar, go back, return and submit to her. Now the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, I said I was going to blow your mind on something. Did anybody notice something that happened with this messenger? You went from saying, right up here, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm fleeing. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her just gave an order straight out, didn't say the Lord said for you to return to your mistress, right, then next, I will surely multiply your offspring. I, the angel will multiply the offspring? That's where your clues come in. Theologians have looked at this and others, and I believe as I see through there, because of this angel, and it's always when it's the, the angel of the Lord with Yahweh in the ancient Hebrew, this, you can be almost certain, is the pre-incarnate Christ visiting Hagar. They call that a Christophany. Some people get confused and they think because Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father, that he's somehow bound by time, and at the time he was born is the time he came into being. Oh no, we can go back in Genesis 1, right? And at the time, and this is the other name of God, Elohim. Elohim is the plural for God, right? Elohim was floating over the waters. Elohim being the three persons in one God, there from the very beginning, right? There before time, outside of time. This is one of those visits in the Old Testament where you can see Christ before he was incarnated in man. We go on in verse 13 so she called the name of the lord who spoke to her you are a god of seeing for she said truly here i have seen him who looks after me in the niv it says very simply i have seen the one who sees me right? therefore the well was called Bir it lies between kadesh and bered it's still there You can figure out exactly where it is on the map by looking for that. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we see this picture here, this God who sees me, right? used where Hagar, being an unrepentant sinner, running out into the wilderness, going to do life on her own, right, is pursued by God, encounters God very personally, understands that he sees her, knows her for everything she is, and then, right, she names a place after that. Genesis sixteen thirteen says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here have I seen him who looks after me. For him who sees me. Alex is going to pull up a, a clip for you while I explain it. You have any sci-fi fans in the house? Right, just about everybody, I'm sure, has seen the movie Avatar. Right? Do not recommend it for its theology. <laughs> Stay away from all of that. That's not what you do. It's entertainment, and it's good entertainment. But the part of it I'm going to show you here today, and some of you who are real fans may remember this, the Navi the people who are the avatars, right, in their language have a very special saying and greeting that they use for each other. Just like the Jews say shalom when they meet somebody, which means I I wish you peace and total totality, right, A, a sense of belonging. It's all of that wrapped in the one. James Cameron and his writers came up with a thing for avatar that they would say to each other when they first met him, I see you. And they would take this sign and they would go like this and say, I see you. And by saying that, what they meant was something rich and deep. Not just, I see you here physically, right? I see Lance over there. Hey, Lance. Right? But when I see Lance and I say, I see you, I know Lance. I've spent time with Lance. He and I have a a relationship. right? I can say I see Lance in a very deep way. And so what we're going to show here in this clip is a part of the movie where, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know what rock you've been living under, but for those who don't know the part of the movie, Avatar basically is a science fiction piece where people from Earth go to this planet, and they have this technology where they connect into the mindless bodies of these avatars that they've grown in a lab, and then they can basically become that avatar well through the whole movie becoming an avatar a marine who cannot walk is kind of a cripple right goes into an avatar blends in with society falls in love with one of them under the guise of this avatar and where we're at in here is the scene where they had been fighting and while his avatar is fighting they get into his special area where he can connect into that avatar and the connection is broken and the one body the avatar body lays lifeless while he's struggling to recover in an environment that is poisonous to him the air is actually poisonous okay. let's take a look at this love scene and notice how they communicate Snap your W. <laughs> so pretty powerful, right, at the scene. In that movie, that's the first time that the avatar is seeing the person behind the avatar. It's the first time she's seeing who Jake really is, right? And she sees him and loves him for who he really is. And that connection is so strong. All right, it brings me to tears to think our God loves us more than we could ever show inside a movie, right? And when that God who sees us and sees all the nastiness of us along with any little bit of good that we would have, he sees us and loves us and loves us deeply. So let's look through a couple of more scriptures to really elaborate because when he sees us, he not only sees us, but he knows us. He not only knows us, but he responds when we call out to him in dialogue, in prayer. He not only responds, but he anticipates our needs. And all of those things come together for this deep, rich meaning of I see you. Don't believe me? Well, let's work together and I'll show you that. Psalms, chapter eleven, four 4 to 5. The Lord is in his holy... Oh, wait a minute. Before I jump into that and where he loves us, I I need to stop and mention here. He loves his children that way. So let me be careful about this, because if you are not a child of God, if you do not love him and trust him and turn your life over to him, then you are a child of wrath. The Bible's clear on that. And he treats the children of wrath different. So if you're a child of wrath, you don't look towards the God who sees as something that's lovely and wonderful and I can't wait. He doesn't accept people who are not repentant. He doesn't accept people who don't turn their lives back over to him that way. He has to judge in order to be just. Or he would cease to be just, God. So let's look what the psalmist says the psalm says the lord in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven yet as i see his eyelids test the children of man the lord tests the righteous but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence wow so he tests me even as a child of god and a believer but that's all i have to worry about he tests me He doesn't hate me, right? But he hates the wicked. Sounds a little different to some of you, right? All the God of love, and we put a lot on the God of love, but there's the God of righteous anger, the God of righteous judgment that comes along. It's the one and the same God. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight. That's a very scary thought. If you have unrepentant sin what is unrepentant sin bill that's that sin that you know is sin you know is wrong right but what do you do you hide it maybe you continue to feed it right and do it a little bit here or there where nobody can see you right until what happens with that sin it becomes like seymour the plant on the monsters right that sin will flare up so big and eventually get you in your life that's the trap of satan but if you have that unrepentant sin that you think you're doing in safety and hidden, I'm here to tell you right now, it's not hidden. The word tells us he sees everything. Nothing's hidden, and no one can retreat from that and do something in hidden that he will not see. That should scare tons of people. Job 34 Verses 21 to 22, for his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. That is part of our just God. Psalm 33, 18 to 19, though, paints a different picture for his children. It says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Take notice of this. This is the Psalms. This is Old Testament. This is many, 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 hundreds of years before Christ was even there teaching and saying, believe in me. It's there. It's always been there. Since before time, it was God's plan of redemption. God is sovereign, right? He has all of that. He's never changed. Our understanding changes. Look also at how God who knows, right? Who sees and who knows treats. Psalm 139, one to four says, "O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Now this should be a comfort to all of us. I mean, he knows us intimately. He knows us completely. psalm 139 goes on and says for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb i praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well now i have to stop here without making some commentary all right? all those and i would ask you to join me in praying for all those who believe that a child in the mother's womb is just a lump of flesh, and somehow the rights of the mother to decide whether they live or die. Now, I know I'm probably getting on somebody's nerves right here by saying that, but it's clear in the word, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, knitted together from the very first point. It's a person that God knows at that point in the womb. He knows us before we knew us. Contemplate on that a second. <laughs> I, <sighs> Wonderful words. Matthew 10, 30 to 31 says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And the Heidel Catechism goes on to say, and not a single hair from your head will fall to the ground without him willing it so." Now, some of you may ask, what is the Heidel Catechism? Well, first, it's near and dear to my heart because I got my last name in there. But really, what a catechism is, is a recite of what the theology in the Bible is. So it's a way to explain what's happening. And if you get a chance to read the Heidelberg Catechism, it's wonderful. It'll help you really piece through theology. Okay, R.C. Sproul says it this way, and this is, running joke we'll let you in on. I say it every time, but um, Seth has always said it's not a bill message if it doesn't have a quote from R.C. Sproul, so I have to make sure I get him in there. But he says, God knows us completely and loves us perfectly. That's amazing. That's exciting to understand that he loves us perfectly. That means he mixes judgment, he mixes criticism that's for our best, best, he mixes, right, um, just basically the discipline that's needed and disciplining us in the right way to conform us to Christ. He has all that mix. He knows when we're just totally weak, and he's there to support us. He knows when we're being arrogant, and he's there to correct us. He loves us perfectly. Let that sink in, and that's all part of the God who sees me. Well, there's another part, as I mentioned, God who sees me the god who knows and the god who responds psalm 34 15 says the eyes of the lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry he gives us this privilege where we can then talk to him and in a wondrous way he hears us and i love the way they say it, his ears are towards their cry it's those word pictures again right So it's like his ear is towards them. I almost feel like God has a baby monitor for me. For the young parents, you can think of that, right? What happens when you have those babies who are in need, right, and and rest on you and and basically trust you for every single part of their life that need their diapers changed, their food fed, or they would just die without you, right? When we go downstairs and you finally get some time as parents, maybe to decompress, what do you do? You put the baby monitor on. Right, so that any little noise you hear, it's a cool picture of God loving us, that his ears are towards us. He's listening all the time for his children. First John five fourteen says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You and I have the right, not in and of ourselves, not because of anything we did, totally because of Jesus, we have the right and privilege to walk into the throne room of the Most High, El Shaddai, at any time and ask him for anything and he will hear us. Not, I'm busy, making an appointment and come back. You can't even go into some people who feel they're really important around here. I can't get in to see the mayor and say, I think a lot of your policies are really wrong right? He's not going to hear me. (laughs) He's not going to give me any time of day even. And yet El Shaddai, the almighty father, king of the universe, gives us the privilege through his son to come to him and promises us that he will hear us when we cry out to him. It's awesome. It's exciting. Matthew 7, 7, 8, right? He's not just the God who knows. He's not just the God who sees. He's the God who responds ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives sometimes we get hung up when we're asking for something right and it never seems to come you are getting an answer every one of them he promises you in his word you're going to get an answer there it may not be the one we like it may be go back and submit to your mistress Exactly what he said to Hagar, right? And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Matthew 6, 7 to 8, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Wow, so not only does he see you Not only does he know you fully, not only does he respond to your prayers, but he actually anticipates all of your needs. It's a wonderful thought. It's a huge picture of love. Ladies, does that not describe the perfect husband to you? (laughs) Right? Men, take a note. (laughs) Right? Follow God. Be conformed to the image of Christ and you'll be closer to the perfect husband. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 12 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. What is this saying? I can tell you firsthand, early on in my Christian walk, I had a huge hang-up about prayer. And one of my hang-ups about prayer was because I heard this, Story that just does not apply to anything that's in the Bible. It's not a biblical worldview and it's a story Some of you may have heard it. It talks about a man who was trying to roll a big boulder up a hill And he was pushing the boulder and he would get, you know Just up there about 15 feet and then the boulder would roll back and roll him over and Then he was determined and he would get up and he'd go and this time he pushed the boulder a little bit further and then the boulder rolled over him again And it goes on and on and on and on. And he's determined to get to the top of the hill and never does. Winds up getting killed when it rolls down on him later. And then when he's talking to God, he says, God, you know, what happened? I tried to push this boulder up. I thought this is, you know, what you wanted me to do is get this boulder on the top of the hill. And God says, no, your role was just to push the rock. Now that sounds spiritual, but it damaged me. (laughs) It literally did because I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to pray for this. Because he might have in his will that I'm just going to push the rock, right? And it was a lack of understanding that I had for my God and God Almighty. And this is what I would show you that, to really take a look at. Jeremiah 29 tells us he knows the plans he has for us and their plans for welfare, not for evil, and to give me a future and to give me hope. He knows what's best for me and he anticipates I had to come to the point where I trusted him and go, wow, he is my heavenly father. Jesus said, you know, what father would give his child a snake or a rock when they ask for some bread? Right? A father's going to help him out. A father's going to care for him and care for him more than you could. So I started realizing, man, maybe when I pray, I don't really know what I'm praying for. Right? But he does. And he knows better than me. And he knows what's best for me so my prayer sessions kind of change from asking god for things like he's this eternal benefactor to you know what lord you know the plans you have for me and i think they're better than any plans i could have for myself so even though i don't see it help me to walk according to your will it's a switch and it changes and it'll revolutionize your life also as the god who anticipates Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been there? I have. Where it just seems so hard to pray. You're just so upset, right? The world's pressing down on you. You don't know what's going on. I've been in times in my car, just over situations and stuff at work, where I'm heading to work, just crying out to the Lord over these situations, and I'm like, "Lord, you got to do something." But if Your will is for me to be embarrassed, if Your will is for me to be crushed under the weight of all these things, and let it happen, and at times I just want to like groan and grunt. Maybe it's because I'm a, a man, and I know men groan and grunt a little bit more. Right? But that's what I feel like. Sometimes you just want to cry out and go, ah! Right? The Bible tells us because he anticipates and because we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. And he transitions our prayers so that they're effectual. It's amazing. An amazing piece of acceptance for his children. So what's in a name? And with this, I'll ask the worship team to make their way back up to the stage. Right. what's in the name is the name of our, our um, series that we're in currently I think you could tell when it comes to El Roy even though it's mentioned once there's a whole lot in the name right it's not just the God who sees me right but our God El Roy the God who sees is also the God who sees you personally he knows you personally completely loves you perfectly he responds to you our prayers are super important and then he anticipates your need even when you are not able or you have a shortcoming right praying to him he will anticipate your needs and deliver so i mentioned early on well first jerry bridges says it this way it's great he says god is not a distant deity who is uninterested in our lives He's a loving father who desires to be intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. So I would say to you, if you have not turned your life over to him, if you are not in relationship with him, oh sure, you may do good things, right? You may believe that he's the son of God. Satan believes that Jesus is the son of God, right? But if you haven't turned your life over to him and said, Lord, I don't want to be me, I want to be like Jesus. if you think that you're going to earn your way to heaven and that you can somehow be holy enough to bridge that chasm between you and God a holy God you're sadly mistaken but today I got good news for you right if you believe in Christ then he died for your sins on the cross and paid the price that you couldn't so that you can come to the father and when you stand in judgment before him and the father sees all those things in your life, guess who stands between you and him? Jesus. And what does the father see? He sees Jesus and all of his righteousness. The sweetest thing that I can think of to hear when I get that day is for Jesus to say, Lord, he is one of mine. His name is in the book. He trusted me for his salvation. He trusted me for the forgiveness of sins and he messed his life up in all kinds of different ways and he got back up and kept coming after me and choosing after me. I see him and saw him every moment of his life and this is the result. It's a beautiful picture. And with that, I ask you to bow, my, bow your heads. Father, if, those are, if there are those in here today who don't know you, we would pray that you would change their heart and incline them towards you. That they would knock and that you would open the door and come in and be with them. That they would confess, Father, first with their mouth that you are Lord, but believe in your heart that it is because of your sacrifice and dying sins, living a perfect life that none of us could live and yet paying the horrible, horrible price that each of us deserve so that we can have eternal life father we just ask that you would hear their cries that your ears would lean towards them as your word says and that they would come into your family as your child and your protection and your seeing and caring for them the rest of their time on earth to bring you glory in Jesus' name we ask this amen